the system is rigged against you. You're going to die. You're going to be ill. Like, it's rough, man. And that's why we have walls and electricity and all of that. It works pretty damn well. You're not going to starve to death. Wild animals aren't going to tear you in pieces. Tyrants aren't going to rip you from limb to limb. It's like, these are good things. Now, you still got a big problem because the cosmic system is rigged against you in a sense. You know, you're vulnerable and, and, and you can be broken and you will be in many ways. Mm -hmm. But you can't blame someone for that. It's just... That's the structure of reality. Life is suffering. You can't blame that on anyone. All right, so what do you do about it? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. Maybe yeah. the jig's up. It's hopeless, you know? But maybe that's not right. Maybe here's something. What would your life be like if you made use of all the potential that you were offered? That's the optimistic question because you can test it out. Say, okay, well, I'll just try that for a year. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can at everything that offers itself to me just as an experiment, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to see, well, is my life better or is my life worse? It's like, you try it for a year, you think, huh, it's actually better. My friendships are better. My family's better. I'm, I'm less anxious. I'm more positively oriented. I'm less resentful and bitter and jealous and angry. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm more physically healthy. It's like, hey, great, and you still, you're not that good at it. It's like, what happens if you did that for five years? Yeah. It's an addiction to possibility. And then yeah. it's also an exponential thing. And this is actually technically true. We know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's this principle that economists talk about. They often call it the Matthew principle. To those who have everything, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, everything will be taken. It's really a vicious statement. Mm -hmm. But what it means is, as you go downhill, you go downhill faster and faster. And people know that. It's like, it isn't linear, man. It's exponential. You do one thing, stupid, then two stupid things happen, then four stupid things happen, and, as, you know, before you know it, you're done. But the reverse of that is also true. You do one good thing, and then, you know, you get two opportunities, and you fix them up, and you get four. And this is how the world works. It's a fundamental economic principle. And you see, because of that, that a small proportion of people have most of the gains accrued to them. Those are also people who are capitalizing on what they're being offered without bitterness or resentment. And then... Maybe it won't work for you, but you don't have a better, you don't have a better plan than that. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. That was a clip from a Dave Rubin interview of Jordan Peterson talking about opportunities, and that is the subject matter of today's episode. We've talked a lot about opportunities, a bunch on this podcast. I believe that making sure people have access to the opportunities is a worthy goal and one that we should be focused on instead of giving people free shit. I believe if people are given opportunities, then those who take advantage of their opportunities will be rewarded. And for that reason, I am opposed to the minimum wage. And it's not because I'm cheap and I don't want to pay unskilled workers more money, but because I believe it destroys opportunities. And we must never forget when we're talking about the minimum wage, we're talking about its effect on unskilled workers, inexperienced workers, entry-level workers. If you have any skill or value, then you're not making minimum wage, right? Because there is a market for your skills. You can bring value to a business and that's what dictates your salary or your worth, right? Your worth to a company is what benefit you can provide. I'm also not against a minimum wage because it will raise the prices of that company's good or service that it's providing, 
right? If a new hire at McDonald's starts making 15 bucks an hour for mopping the floor because the government has put a floor in on the wages, well, then that new employee is instantly overpaid for the value they provide to the business. And then you have to look at all the other employees and adjust their pay accordingly. If the guy pushing the mops at 15 bucks an hour, the guy working the French fries needs to be making more. The guy working the grill needs to be making more than that. The shift manager needs to be making more than that and so on and so on, right? And by the time everyone is now paid more, the costs of all their products is going to go up. All because you wanted to overpay an unskilled worker more than they're worth. The more expensive products and higher costs for the business is unnecessary, but it is not why I am not a fan of the minimum wage. I am not a fan of the minimum wage because, like most government programs, it ends up hurting the people they're trying to help. The reality of the minimum wage is that it prevents unskilled workers from getting opportunities. The concept of the minimum wage sounds good. A new unskilled hire will start off at a minimum salary, right, enabling them to earn a good living, a living wage. It will prevent businesses from taking advantage of people. And that's where this all started, right? The minimum wage was started for that. Back in 1938, we passed the Fair Labor and Standards Act of 1938. And in that act, you'll read, it says, the Congress finds that the existence of labor conditions detrimental to maintain the minimum standard of living necessary for health, efficiency, and the general well-being of workers. So this is the early 1900s. There is widespread concern about sweatshops in the United States and particularly about the working conditions of women and children. Minimum wages were first introduced on the state level in most cases and then applied only to women and children. So it was a law just to set a minimum wage for women and children. More and more states adopted it. It went federal, spent a while in the courts, and finally became validated by the Supreme Court in 1941. So the concept of a minimum wage sounds good, right? A new unskilled hire will start off at a minimum salary, enabling them to earn a good living, and it will prevent businesses from taking advantage of them. But the concept presumes the unskilled worker will be hired in the first place. If employers had to hire unskilled workers, that would be one thing, right? But outside of state and local government, employers don't have to do anything. So this is the big miss with the concept and why going along with a bad idea based on a falsehood will only lead to human suffering. The bad idea make companies pay people more than they're worth. The lie that that's based on is, well, it'll help unskilled workers. Rising tide lifts all boats, right? Well, wrong. And the suffering is the people that need these jobs, that need the opportunities the most, don't fucking get them. The higher you raise the first rung of the ladder the harder it is to get on and start climbing up, right? The guy with no skills, no experience will never get an opportunity to get a job. He won't get an opportunity to learn new skills, won't get an opportunity to get more experience to make themselves more valuable to the company. Because if a company has to overpay for inexperienced help, they won't hire inexperienced help. They'll hire experienced help instead, or they will hire a union. So, so the guy you're trying to help doesn't benefit, but it was never really about helping people, right? It was about getting votes, and that's why this shit doesn't work. If there was no minimum wage, unskilled workers could get an opportunity. 
And what they do with that opportunity is up to them. The ones who are driven and hardworking will use that as a stepping stone to advance and take advantage. And not all will do that. And that is totally okay. Let's forget about the equality of the outcome and look at the equality of the opportunity. Does everyone have an equal opportunity to get a job? Not with the minimum wage. So I've said that in a previous podcast, one of my first ones I've did, and it just got me thinking like, what opportunities did I have and take advantage of? What did that look like? Because I don't think you'll ever know the extent from a missed opportunity. You missed it. So you, you can't even like play that forward. But I look back and I was able to identify a handful of opportunities in my life that changed my life for one reason or another. And we're going to take a trip back and hopefully I'll be able to illustrate how valuable opportunities are and the downstream benefits of taking advantage of them. And then we might be able to look at opportunities as being the goal rather than just an automatic equal outcome. Because not only is that undefinable, unquantifiable, it's just impossible to do. There will never be an equality of outcome of anything. Yes, we want equal rights. Everyone has the same rights. Yes. And we should strive for equal opportunities. So let's take a trip back to 1995. It's senior year in high school for me. It's my final soccer season. We have a great team. We have been playing together for since we were kids, right? So at least seven years prior, we are playing competitively, travel soccer, same team, same kids. So very cohesive unit. We're three games into the season and we're in a tight game with one of the best teams in the state and we weren't supposed to beat them, right? The score is tied 0-0 and we get a penalty kick. So the coach chose one of our, our tri-captains who plays defense, really good kid. He was a sophomore, he's a friggin' phenom. So he's a sophomore, playing varsity, and he's one of the captains. So he was friggin' good. So coach picks him. And I'm one of the other captains, and I play offense. I'm supposed to be scoring the fucking goals. And at the time, it didn't even bother me that the coach picked another player than me until he missed the kick. So we tied the game, and we missed our opportunity to beat one of the best teams in our, in our division. And I was fucking pissed. This is my last year, and this sophomore is going to screw it up. That's bullshit. But what was really bullshit was me, right? It was my inaction when the coach was thinking of who to pick. It was my lack of confidence to demand the opportunity. I was mad at myself, and I just projected that shit onto one of my teammates. That was a good experience for me because it made me look in the mirror and it made me ask myself some fucking hard questions because I wasn't mad at him. Just like I wouldn't want someone to be mad at me if I missed a shot. That doesn't make any fucking sense. But why was I so mad? And I came to two realizations. One, if I didn't do everything in my power to have a successful season, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And two, if we get another penalty kick, I'm fucking taking it. So the next day I drove down to the middle school with my one soccer ball and I practiced penalty kicks for as long as I could stand it. It felt like an eternity, right? Cause you kick the ball in the net, you gotta go get your own ball, bring it back and you know, over and over and over again. I repeated that until I felt I was ready. I had a plan and if the opportunity ever came up, I was gonna be ready. And wouldn't you fucking know several weeks later, we're playing Wellesley, again, one of the better teams in the state, tie game, zero, zero, and there's a penalty kick. So without a thought, I raised my hand, signaled to the coach that I was going to take it, and he said, go for it. And this 
was a big game in our season because we were having one of the best seasons the boys soccer team has ever had. The, the public TV was there filming the game and there was two announcers and I'll never forget the commentary. Penalty kick for Walpole. Oh, Nick's raising his hand. He wants it. Fucking right, Ed. I did want it because I had a plan. I was prepared, made it look like I was going left, went right, goalie dove one way, ball went in the net the other way. We went on to win the game, one nothing. So with some hard work, some self-awareness, I put myself in a position to succeed when an opportunity came my way. And that was a valuable lesson for me early in my life because I learned the execution and success of something as trivial as scoring a fucking goal could have such a profound impact on my life because it was that hard work paying off and having a moment I can go back to for confidence. I had never come through when it was just me. I, I've celebrated team success. I've scored plenty of goals, but this was just me. And I think it was so important for me to succeed when I put the work in and I prepared for it. So now my senior year in soccer, I make leaps and bounds in my game. And that gets me the opportunity to continue my soccer career in college. I graduated high school at 17 years old. I was not ready for college or had any clue what I wanted to do. But I knew I wasn't done playing soccer. And playing sports in college as a freshman was such an advantage. So this, this opportunity is just going to build, right? Because now I'm in college. And I get to arrive to school early. I'm in there in July to start tryouts with the team. And then all of a sudden you get an instant group of friends. So instead of, you know, being scared shitless, some shy kid from another state showing up with hundreds and thousands of other adults trying to navigate that shit show on the first day of school, I'm there early. So I work my ass off. I make the team as a starter at the age of 17. Now I'm in the world of college sports. I'm friends with other athletes. One friend I made was on the baseball team and he had a part-time job operating the scoreboard at the hockey rink for the hockey team. So because I knew Sean, I get an opportunity to play music and be the rink announcer. You know, in between the action and the game, you play the music. And I'm doing my best Boston Celtics announcer ripoff. Two minutes, two minutes left in the period. That's all I knew because I watch a lot of Celtics games with my dad. So I was turning that half empty fucking hockey rink into the Boston Garden. Got an opportunity, gave it my all. I'm not making any fucking money doing this. And then during a Sunday afternoon game, one of the referees that was doing the game would skate by and name the band of who I was playing. So now this turns into a music trivia game. And I brought my whole book of CDs. Remember those big books like three by three that held CDs? It hold, I hold like 64 discs, I think. I had that bad boy. So I had my library with me. And I'm throwing the kitchen sink at this guy and he's keeping up. And at the end of the game, he skates over and we start chatting, talking music, life. Turns out this guy, who I think probably in his late 30s, early 30s at this point, he was a big wig at one of the, the prime car dealerships in, uh, in Maine. Somehow Jobs comes up, and when you know, he says he can get us some jobs there as lot boys washing cars. Sweet. Got a job. So I got a job washing cars as a result of playing music and trying really hard with some opportunity that I didn't even know was an opportunity, but I gave it my all. So now that translates into a job. I'm working at this prime auto dealership washing cars and the wash bay is located in the same garage as the re reconditioning bay, right? Where they do all the body work and make repairs. The guys working the recon bay taught me a lot and you wouldn't think there's much to know about washing cars. But when you are taught 
how to wash a car from a professional, you never do it the same way again. I learned how to clean a car, wax a car, and that's what I did all day. And we had fun with it. And this dealership also sold antique and exotic cars. I'm driving Ferraris around the lot. It was a pretty sweet gig when you're 18 years old. So now I'm doing that for a while, and here comes another payoff. Turns out the owner is friends with a guy who owns a radio station in Saco, Maine. So George tells him about me, and it turns out they're going to need to replace somebody soon. So I meet the guy, and with George's help, he gives me a shot. I get an opportunity to do a few overnight shifts as an audition, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. So no one's listening. So if you you screw up, there's no pressure. And the station would normally syndicate a West Coast show anyway, so it didn't even matter. So I get a crash course on how to operate the equipment in the studio. They give me a key, and they let me go. And at the station, there's a tape deck in the back. You throw a blank tape in there, and it will record every time you turn the microphone on. So this is what they would listen to and judge me because they certainly weren't going to stay up from 12 to 3 to listen to fucking top 40 songs and hear my breaks in between. And I wish I still had that tape. It was fucking horrible. (laughs) It, It was like Stephen Wright DJing in Pulp Fiction. That was Britney Spears. Hit me one more time. Coming up next, the Bare Naked Ladies. But first, it's Natalie Ambrulia, right? It was fucking monotone, no energy. I was timid, I was scared shitless, and you could you could hear it, right? It was like my first couple of podcasts. They listened to the tape, and they said, all right, kid. They paired me up w- with one of the morning DJs to kind of coach me up, Joe Lerman from the Robin Joe Morning Show. Joe taught me a lot. He gave me my radio name, Nick Tyler. He helped me with everything. One of the quick things is when you talk, you smile, and you can hear the reflection in your voice. So when you don't smile, it sounds like this. And when you do smile, it sounds like this. Same shit, but the smile forces your voice to sound better. So I do a few more overnights, got a little better. The 7 p.m. to 12 shift, the DJ was moving to the day shift, and I was given the night show on a main top 40 radio station. I had the Red Hot 9 at 9, where we counted down the nine most requested songs of the day. I got commercial clients where I'd read commercials for companies like The Card Connection and some Chinese restaurant, I forget the name of it, and a few others. I'm broadcasting live from bars. I'm 18 years old. By day, I'm pretending to go to class, playing soccer, working out, and at night, I'm DJing. And there were a lot of doors that opened up as a result of that. I learned so much from George. I learned so much from the radio station. I learned so much from washing cars. So that one small opportunity snowballed into a bunch. So sophomore season, I get hurt. So the prospects of playing soccer are real slim because I'm not fit for college. I'm not, I'm not fit to be a student there. My life was so much more interesting outside the classroom with the opportunities I got. So I spent the next year, I went and visited my sister in Hawaii, started mountain biking, playing cards. I worked at Planet Hollywood, went to Colorado, did some more mountain biking. So now I'm 20 years old, about to turn 21. I'm out of money. And I realized I need to come home to get a vehicle so I can get a job in Colorado and maintain whatever the hell lifestyle I was doing. So I head home, my 21st birthday, my plan is to get my truck, earn some money, and then drive back to Colorado. So I get home, I hook up with my friend Michael, who is bartending at a local bar and restaurant in my hometown. I need a job. He gets me an interview and I get the job bartending. Another opportunity time to send it. Just to give it my all, I start DJing during my own bar shift. All the other bartenders would just play the, the satellite music, the Muzak, 
You know, just pick a station and just go with it. So this gets me an opportunity to DJ the bar's parties. And I even started a music trivia night. And this is in the year 2000. I think this was before trivia was a fucking thing. I'm making the most of my little Wednesday night bar shift. Making the most of that opportunity. And as a result, I get in good with one of the owners. Now, Michael and I become his right-hand men. We help with fucking everything. Bar renovations, parties. We would go in and do night work. We would work overnight so we didn't have to close down. We worked around the clock. And that owner also owned a commercial HVAC company handling all the HVAC needs for retail stores and malls. So Michael and I would help him there. We're walking through malls. We're doing projects on Sundays. We're on rooftops with cranes. We're just... The opportunities keep coming fast and furious. This guy is also involved in boat building. He was part of a team that was developing boats for the government to use to to combat drug running. They were designing a go-fast boat for law enforcement to catch up with all the drug runners using those Miami Vice friggin' cigarette boats. I got to go to Boston when they handed a couple boats to the Boston Police Department. We get to ride on the boats. One opportunity after another kept building and building and building and doors kept opening. And all of a sudden, my toolkit of knowledge, of construction, of business, of everything is building. All because one little thing just fucking snowballed. I wanted to cover this today to give you some context on why I think opportunities are so important. There will never be equality of any outcomes, of anything. Striving for people to have equal amounts of opportunities makes a lot more sense to me. Instead of bringing the smart ones down or the more gifted ones down to meet everyone else, let's try to make sure no matter who you are, you get opportunities. And what you do with them is up to you. If you have drive and want to succeed, you'll take advantage of them and good things will happen. And if you're happy just skating your lane, working for someone else, cool. It's your life. Thinking everyone wants and needs the same shit is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. So the message to the young people should be do everything in your power to be able to capitalize on an opportunity when it presents itself. Instead of selling them this group bullshit where there's built-in excuses why you can't succeed. Yeah, it's because of some other group keeping you down. Because in the real world, merit is valued. Hard work sticks out. A good attitude sticks out. Why are we telling our kids the game's rigged before they get a chance to play is beyond me. Some people will get more chances than others, better chances than others. You can't help that. That's That's unsolvable. So the best thing to do is understand that and be okay with that because that's reality i wanted to illustrate it just takes the right attitude and some hard work and these things these two things everyone has whether you're a man woman white black gay straight fucking catholic muslim young or old hard work and the right attitude you have and you can make the most of your opportunities and while everyone else is playing the victim and making excuses for everything they don't do Put your head down, work hard, don't cut corners, put a smile on your face, be nice to everyone, and you will be 100% better off, better positioned than your peers participating in the tribalism.
Crowd. 